observation is not quite as easy um, as it looks. Okay, and if all goes well, well, I might have to stop sharing just to share my computer sound. I did not share my computer sound. So hang on one sec. I'm just going to stop share and then share with sound. Okay, share computer sound. And now we should be good to go and you should be able to hear once I start playing the clip. You're about to meet Michael. He lives fast. As do you hear sound? You do hear sound. Okay. So I don't hear sound. But anyway, <laughs> I've seen the video clip before. The self-made millionaire. You didn't have to dress up. It's all right. You're going to photograph Michael. He's actually saved somebody's life. Michael is an ex-inmate. He's a commercial fisherman. Michael claims to be psychic. Nice to meet you. Michael's a former alcoholic. Here's your camera. I would like you to flesh out the essence of who he is. What would you like out of this? What would you like the photograph to say about you? Do you find that being a psychic impacts much on your day-to-day -day life? I can see this is emotional for you. So. <laughs> like to like get to know the person. You've only got 10 minutes, right? I think you're a guy that's put yourself out there. You're not hiding anything. My plan was to find out about whoever it was and to try and get that. And what I learned from him is he's incredibly brave. That was really intense. Pull his shirt out. Sorry. I wanted to see the nature of the person, which then present a challenge. How do you portray him as a fisherman? That's perfect. He's a self-made millionaire and sort of a little bit intimidating. I wasn't going for a beautiful, nice, perfectly lit portrait. I just want to try bring out something of who you are. I think that you just treat people like the everyday people, like everybody is. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Well, I hope I've got that guy's bravery on the film. So it was a very intimidating environment. I like the empty chair next to it too. Because it's, it's a totally different person. <laughs> Almost looks like six different people. So not everything I told you today was true. I'm not a fisherman. I am not an alcoholic. The GFC hit me hard, but I've never been a millionaire. Never been in prison. I am a Bondi lifesaver, but the story we talked about never did happen. Not psychic can barely spell it. Before I knew there were different characters in each of these, I thought, that's really strange. These don't look like portraits of the character I thought you were. You always got your own preconceptions and you got your ideas. It pushed me into a, a position and a space that I wouldn't normally be in. You have to dig a lot deeper. It means you've got to be, I think, you're a lot more creative to, to work out how you're going to play things.
just stop that and get back into my presentation. So you guys heard the story. You could hear what they, what they were saying. Okay. So I think what happened for me was that was um, the point at which I realized that the same way that, um, you know, the, the photograph is shaped much more by, um, you know, by the person behind the camera than it is what's actually in front of the camera. As coaches, um, the, what, we, what we think is happening with somebody or with our teams is shaped much more by who we are um, than what's actually happening. So um, this idea further got, um, uh, hang on, hang on, how do I get out of here? How do I go to my next slide? Thank you. So this idea um, further, you know, for me, uh, you know, confirmation bias is obviously the first thing. That's what what's that what that little video is about. That if we think something, um, then we'll see it in others. You know, um, so um, but there's uh, you know there's more. Oh, and there we go. The second reason is that very often we conflate observation with interpretation um, and evaluation and um, you know this is generally the way that we um, have I missed some slides here now let me just no I haven't I'm sorry people um, I always get confused when I'm when I'm doing this with a group um, and I'm sharing my screen because what you see and what I see not the same thing so so when we, um, when we generally as human beings, when we look at a situation, we observe some things, we generally immediately interpret, we evaluate and we, we act, you know, and this is fine. Um, it is, you know, fine for us um, and comes from our very old brains when, you know, if we saw something coming up to us, we had to make a decision about what we see, whether we're going to eat it or whether it's going to eat us, you know, um, it's, however, it's not the, um, you know, it's not the most, most useful for us as coaches to do this. Okay. So, um, we really, uh, when we look at people, there's a couple of mistakes that we make, you know, so first of all, we think that, uh, that, you that, um, expressions, emotions are expressed um, in the same way for everybody. So, uh, you know, so if I look at you and I see an expression on your face, I can safely assume what's going on for you on the inside is X. The second thing is that we're mostly blind to our own filters, our own preferences, our own triggers, biases, our moods even, you know. Um, it's hard for us to um, to make sure that they don't influence that which we which we experience or which we see in a situation or in a person, or that we are aware of them enough to kind of take out the impact on what we see and what we're experiencing. And then the third thing is that our developmental level, you know, our, our level of adult development even influences what we are what we think we are seeing what we think is happening so let's just look at um, you know at these different these three different things so first of all um there was a lot of studies done earlier about um 
you know, do we have universal expressions? So, uh, you know, the, 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 the first time I read about this is in a book by a woman called Lisa Feldman Barrett. She wrote a book called um, How Emotions Are Made, The Secret Life of the Brain. And um, she did, in her work, she re-examined the, the work of uh, social anthropologists. So um, w w there had been a lot of studies, actually, in one particular uh, relevant study, where social anthropologists went around the world and they tried to see whether the kind of big six of emotions, which, um, you know, which is anger, fear, disgust, surprise, sadness, and happiness. You know, is there, a, is there a way that it can be perceived on people's faces or in their bodies that's universal? And I mean, the study was quite extensive. The early study was quite extensive. It went and it visited like even remote tribes in all nooks and crannies of the world. Ultimately, the only, um, the only thing that they could find that was universal was happiness. You know, the fact that, that people smile, but hang on, hang on for that one too. So if we just try this for a moment, you know, the, the face on the left is the face that they've used in studies very often um, with people uh, to indicate fear. Most people will recognize the face on the left as fear, okay? If you put, I don't know who of you watched um, um, Alpha 1999, I did when I grew up, okay? But those of you who did may recognize Martin Landau, um, Captain Koenig, um, next to the fearful face or the face that's supposed to um, convey fear. And it's quite, you know, if you look at the two faces together, it looks like Captain Koenig is also expressing fear. However, if I take you to the next slide, on the right-hand side, the face of that guy is, has been used universally to express surprise. And now, if you look at Captain Koenig's face, now you're not so sure whether he's actually expressing fear or whether it's surprise. So what they found in studies, for instance, if they gave the context of the story that um, one would expect a feeling of surprise, um, people would see surprise on the face. If, you, um, if, if the context was set in a way that, it, you, know, that, it, uh, that you might have expected um, Martin Landau's face to show fear, then it would show fear. You know, so um, that really, um, you know, that really led Lisa Feldman Barrett to, you know, to launch a study of her own over many years. And actually, um, you know, the, the outcome of, of the study and a whole bunch of things more are documented in her book, one of which was actually not even happiness is universally displayed on a face, you know. So they eventually found out that the reason why people smiled when asked to um, convey happiness is because somehow, you know, there was a little bit of a reward involved when they did these studies, you know. Um, so somehow people realized that if they pulled their faces in something that looks like a smile, um, you know, that's what the scientists are looking for, you know, and then they get their reward and the scientists go away. So basically what, what I'm trying to tell you is that there's no universal depiction of emotion on anybody's faces. So if we're observing and we're looking at somebody and we're inferring 
that they are happy or sad or fearful or surprised, we need to be very careful. You know, what could be going on for them, um, you know, could be something very different. Um, so you might have heard of the expression resting bitch face. <laughs> so a lot of people, when they think, the expression just becomes kind of neutral. You know, and if you look at them, you might think that they are angry or displeased or, you know, or something's wrong, something's going on for them. Okay, so that's the first clue, you know, so what's what we when we look at people um, and we just try and, and and make up what's going on for them, we will very often be wrong. Okay, so the second point um, was also comes from um, from uh, Lisa's book. Um, so uh, she she tells a really wonderful story of um, her, uh, you know, one evening she was asked out by a young man when she was still, you know, at university. She was asked out by a young man and she didn't really think that he was her type. He didn't really do it for her. But she decided to go out with him, you know, and during the course of dinner, you know, her, her tummy started doing, you know, those funny butterfly, butterfly flutters that you do when you're with somebody that you attracted to and you're a little bit shy and you're not you know not quite sure what's going to happen yet whether they like you and so on and so forth well she started feeling that and you know she had difficulty concentrating so as a result of all of these somatic feelings she started thinking well maybe i was wrong you know maybe this guy does do it for me and you know and he he took her home and dropped her off at her at her apartment and she barely walked in and then she was sick. So actually what was going on for her was that she had been experiencing the start of a tummy bug, um, which she completely confused with the normal signals one's body gives you when you are romantically attracted to somebody. So in, you know, in her book, she talks a lot about the fact that, um, you know, that, that not even our emotions, I mean, for me, this was a shocking thing, um, not even our emotions are come to us cleanly and purely. Um, whatever we experience um, already subconsciously gets played through our past experiences, um, our filters, etc. You know, to come out the other end as an emotion. So we even make our emotions. So once again, you know, if we can make our emotions, geez, if somebody else then tries to look at us, what chance have they got? The third thing um, is, uh, is something that I've only learned in the last two or three years, you know, working in leadership development. Um, so this is a slightly, different, um, a slightly different way of looking at the process of observing, um, you know, evaluating uh, or interpreting and then acting. So um, in, in the world of sense-making or meaning-making, we talk about sensing, which is the five senses, you know, which is what we're supposed to be doing if we're observing. So we sense what's going on around us. Um, then we make sense of it. Okay, so that's that interpret, evaluate step um, in the, on the earlier diagram. And then we respond to it. You know, we take an action. And, you know, um, based on what happens then, what we sense is in the, you know, um, in, this, in the scenario or in the, situation then we sense again and the whole thing starts starts again okay um here's the thing though 
as we develop, you know, um, our, um, our action logic, action logic is one of the frameworks that we use to describe adult development, our action logic develops as well. So if I look at the two stages that are um, mostly represented under leaders, and I consider all coaches to be leaders as well, scrum masters to me are leaders as well. So um, if I, for instance, look at a situation where two people are arguing, if I look through my expert action logic lens, I might make up um, that, you know, that they're disagreeing because the one doesn't understand the solution um, of the other, or that they are in disagreement about what exactly the details of the solution should be. You know, they are, I think about technical guys having a chat, you know, they're disagreeing about, um, about whether they should be using this architecture or that architecture, okay? If I look through my achiever lens, when I observe these two people having a conversation and disagreeing, I will probably make up um, that they might be in disagreement because they're not sure how, whether it's actually gonna work at all. You know, the one's not sure the other one's solution will work at all. Or he's worried that it's gonna take too long, you know, or he's worried that there are too many outside influences, there are too many outside dependencies, and therefore they will not be able to, um, you know, to actually get the work done, you know, get the job done. So depending on where we are in our own um, leadership development and personal development phase, we will look at the same situation and come up with two different interpretations of what's going on. Okay, so all in all, what, that's, what that has made me realize is that I should never take myself too seriously. You know, what I think and what I see I mean, we've got a lovely saying in coaching, you know, everybody's right, but only partially. That includes the coach. Okay, so what I look at and what I see is just one point of view in the whole situation. And I need to hold that quite lightly. And I need to verify that with whoever I am coaching. Um, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, for right now, I've been talking for quite a lot, quite a long time. So um, I would like us to do a little bit of an observation exercise, okay? And I'm gonna actually um, stop sharing this screen because I'm gonna take you, I'm gonna show you another video, okay? And this time what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to take a pen. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna ask you to report out afterwards. So take a pen and take some notes about what you are observing in the in the video that I'm sharing. Okay, so one second, let me just line it up. Okay, it is lined up. So let me share my screen. Okay. Okay, so are you ready? Let me just take that. Actually, let me take that off the screen. You're ready. We're going to look at about three or four minutes of video um, and just make notes about what it is that you are observing, really observing um, and not interpreting. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you to report out afterwards. I'm going to do the same. Okay.
Oh, damn it. I forgot to share this, the sound again. Let me just do that. <laughs> oh, actually, it remembered it. Zoom remembered from the previous time. Great. Here we go. If Netflix allows us. Is there sound for everybody? Terry, I, I, I know that I haven't worked here very long, but I was wondering, do you think it would Hang be on, possible if I got a $100 advance on my salary? An advance? It's so that I can spend Thanksgiving with my family. See, every year we go skiing in Vail, and normally my father pays for my ticket, but I've sort of started this whole independent thing, you know, which is actually why I took this job. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel. Sweetheart, you're a terrible, terrible waitress. <laughs> really, really awful. Okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I'm with you. Um, but, uh, but I'm trying really hard, and, and I think I'm, I'm doing better. I really do. Does anybody need coffee? Yeah, over here. Yeah, <laughs> Okay, so who would like to have a go at some, at what you've observed? All of you are on mute at the moment. I invite you to unmute. Just got me excited. I want to rewatch all the Friends episodes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Elena, so what did you observe? How nervous she was. Okay, so, so what made you think that she was nervous? Because nervous is an interpretation. Um, fidgeting. Yeah, so fidgeting is a good, is a good indication that she's nervous. The what body else? language, or just um, moving from place to place, like not calm and collected. Yeah, not calm and collected. Okay, thank you. Who else wants to have a go? This stuff is not easy. We are so used to jumping into that interpretation. Yeah. So who else wants to have a go? Internet Sean here. Um, yes, Sean. Um, the one thing I did notice, the barrier between the two of them, um, which was the countertop. Yes. Um, yes. And, you know, but she was leaning over it. She was leaning um, over or, it, yeah. Or almost trying to cross the barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good observation. So that's, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a true observation. So they're trying to cross the barrier that's, that moves into interpretation, which is fine. You know, so when we do this with our themes, you know, it, what, um, what, what we have the tendency to do is we have the tendency to interpret for them. You know, and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, as socialized animals, we should be able to interpret certain social science, 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 not science, science. <laughs> so there's nothing wrong. But when we do that, when we don't, when we interpret it for them, and we don't let them interpret it for themselves, we are actually doing a little bit of their work. 
You know, there's, there's something that happens for a team when they realize, well, actually, whenever we get together, we always walk into the meeting in drips and drabs. You know, so, and there's, there's something that's, that's available to a team when you simply state, you know, it's, you know, I'm noticing that people walk into the room whenever we've got a meeting um, in drips and drabs. You know, in your, in your head, what's going on, I'm wondering uh, whether they don't want to be here. I'm wondering whether they find this a drag. I'm wondering uh, whether they disengage. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. So it's not that it doesn't happen for you as the coach, but certainly um, what, you, what you are doing is you are you're letting them off the hook to some extent if you do the interpretation for them. So, um, so, so how do we do this? And I'm going to share my screen again and let's go back into the slides. And Antonette, I think we're also making certain assumptions, right? Yes, major assumptions, major yeah. assumptions. On their behalf. Yeah. On their behalf, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, and as, so most of us are, are uh, practice facilitators as well. As a facilitator, you are so used to when the energy in the room, to take a you know, very common example, if the energy in the room takes a dip, then you do something to fix that. You know, you insert, you insert some of your own energy, you change the frame, you, you know, you move on, etc. So there's, so we're so used to automatically reacting to what's going on in a team situation or even for another person and stepping in, you know, to, to make it better for them, you know, make it right for them. Um, so there's also, there's a lot of interpretation about what's better and what's right and etc. as well. So, you know, so in terms of how we do this, so first of all, we concentrate on our five senses. You know, we, um, we really go back to the, five, um, to the five senses and we look at what are we seeing? Literally, what am I seeing? I, I'm seeing like a movie, like a movie camera, okay? And I'm repeating that. So I'm noticing, you know, I'm noticing that, you know, um, so in, the, in the video example there, I'm noticing that you're fidgeting, you know, or I'm noticing that you're leaning over the table, or I'm noticing that you're sitting back in your chair, or I'm noticing that everybody is sitting forward in their chairs, you know. Um, I'm noticing that people are looking out the window. I'm noticing that people are on their phone, you know. So literally just reporting what we see the, um, the team is doing, you know, and we do it slightly differently on a team level than on an individual level. On an individual level, we can be a lot more specific. We tend to not, um, we tend to not single out people um, when we are in a, in a group setting, you know, uh, we, we tend to make more general statements. So we really let the team or the other person interpret it. We make sure that we, you know, that our faces stay um, stable and, and that they don't give away anything about what's happening. And that, um, you know, and that if things come up for us, which they invariably will, we're human, that we self-manage those, okay? And we really become curious about what is going on. Why is this happening for them? What is it indicating? If I let go of my, this is what's happening and I really become curious, 
you know, that gives us more places to go as coaches as well. Um, so, and it lets us, it puts the, the wisdom of the, of the group back into their own hands or, you know, back into um, the person who sits in front of us. And certainly we may, I mean, certainly we may have an idea about what is, um, what's going on for them. And we may even bring it again, you know, um, if we find them avoiding uh, what is happening in the room, we may bring it again lightly, but we hold it very lightly. So we're willing to let go of it. Um, you know, everybody's right, but only partially, and that includes the coach. Okay. So, um, I'm wondering whether they are, uh, how many people have we actually, actually, you know, so by all means, if you're listening to this with one ear, that's fine by me. How many people have we actually got uh, actively uh, involved at the moment? Because I'd like to do another exercise where I'm just going to ask two people to have a conversation with one another. But if there's not enough people that are actively listening to this, then I'm just going to skip over this. I actually wanted to give you one more practice session. If you're actively listening, uh, there is the thumb up in your toolbar. So just put thumb up and we'll know how many we will get involved. Okay, so let's see. We've got... Okay. I think I'm just going to skip to the next one then. I've got, yeah, I've got only two people, I think. I, only, I can't, Alex, how many do you count? I don't see any. Maybe people just cannot. <laughs> I think it oh, goes I, away after like no, a few seconds. No, there we go. There's, uh, we've got oh. three people. Yeah, that's still, that's still not enough. Okay, well, four people. Okay, where are we getting there? We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so I'm wondering whether two of you um, would just have a conversation about, you know, what what this means for you in your in your coaching, and whether the rest of you would be willing to observe them, you know, do true observation of them. It's a little bit edgy to do that, so I'm happy to carry on if we don't have um, people that feel on a Saturday night you know, ready to, uh, to go out there. Is there anybody that's willing to have the conversation? Sure. Uh, if I have okay, somebody else to talk to me, I will talk to anybody. So, I'm, willing. I'm willing to have a conversation. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I, think, okay. and I think Sean was saying something, but he is on mute. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, sorry. Ask... So, sorry, yeah, I, I, was happy, <laughs> I was happy to join in. I just couldn't unmute for some reason. No problem. No problem. Okay, so, so um, how about the three of you? And Sasha, thank you, and MC, thank you very much for offering. And I, Mary, I'm not sure that you are offering as well. Um, but I'm going to ask the rest of you... To, um, to just observe. So I'd like you to just share with one another. I mean, what, are, what does this mean for your coaching? And the rest of us are just going to observe what's happening for you. It's, this is much harder, by the way, virtually. What it means, I guess, through observation, less judging, 
making less assumptions and just observe first, take time to notice the little things and just suck, let, let it sink in first before making any interpretation or even think for the team and then find ways to pull it out of the team to come up with their own solutions okay. versus doing it for them because then it's not going to be long-term impact. If, if, if I can add to that as well, um, for me, why I find this quite powerful is you can add context. So when you're working with teams, um, the, the lens in the moment is quite narrow sometimes, um, but as an observer, um, you have a wider view and you can play back context a lot better as well, um, and uh, which will then uh, engage in much richer conversation around that because you, you can play back things or observations that they may not see. Yeah, the biggest, I believe that the biggest gift, you know, the biggest gift that you've got as a coach is that, is that objective observation. So, yeah. yeah. And the challenge there is when the client wants you to provide answers and solutions. Well, how do I do this? Yeah. So they, they don't want you taking the long time, the long road. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. know that I'm willing to give it the time to have that long-term impact to the team but they want quick solutions. Give me answers. What do I need to do to solve this issue? So that's the challenge that I'm facing because they always want, you know, here we are, give me an answer. <laughs> right? I'm sure others have experienced the same way. I, I, I would agree with that. I experienced that quite a lot as well. And, you know, quite often people, hey, Sean, just tell us the answer. Or sometimes if, if you raise a question, in a, in, a, in a kind of Socratic way, yeah. that they normally immediately thinking, well, Sean's obviously raising something here, so he spotted something. And so norm this is when I've got a good relationship with them. So normally they would then try and look for an answer. But sometimes when I meet people for the first time um, and they don't know me because that relationship is there, it's not there, um, they, they will ask for an answer. You know, they, they will give up quite quickly. Well, okay, why are you asking us? The, why don't you tell us? Because you, you've been there, done that. Like, what, what's based on your experience? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to <laughs> feed them the, the answer, basically. So, so let's, hear, let's hear from the rest of you. What have you observed Elena and Sean doing in this little conversation snippet? What's your observation about what happened for the two of them? Kind of adding to what the other said and um, building upon the ideas. You, you can, um, then you would not be practicing your observation right now. But by all means, go ahead. The, the content that they've spoken about is so rich that if it's triggered something to you, by all means, go ahead. Oh, I mean, uh, that, that, that's, what, that's what I heard they are doing. It's, it's not that I want to build on their ideas. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, good. I think I misunderstood you. 
And would you like to? Andrew, do you mind if I play an observation? Um, yeah. I might get this totally wrong because I was I was I was in the moment, um, but well, I was noticing that we gave each other some room. I we we would allow each other to start and finish, and there, yeah. was, there was a momentary pause there as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I spotted there. Yeah. But can I add something to that? Well, that I noticed that Alex was supposed to be part of this conversation. However, the two main speakers did not give him an opportunity to say anything. <laughs> I thought he was an observer. I think he was just waiting for a pause so he could say something, but nobody gave him a chance. Good noticing, Nish. <laughs> Yeah, I thought the same. I, I thought Alex was an observer, um, but I knew at the start it, it was, if I re recall back, you did say have a three-way conversation, I think. Yeah. So Nish, I think you're right. Yeah. So, so let me unzip your head. You know, this is everywhere. What, what I made up was happening. I also thought Alex was going to join. What I made up was happening was that Alex, as the host, is gracious to hang back to give other people a chance and that's why he's hanging back. I did not share that, but that was what was going on in my head. Interesting. You know, so, so, so can you see how, how we do this? I mean, we do this all the time, all the time. You know, and now I don't know whether poor Alex, uh, you know, wanted to say something and you know, and now I didn't give him a chance because I carried on with the debrief and, you know, and it just, so, uh, so we you, do you, this. You know what? The more I keep quiet, the more you guys say everything and then I don't need to spend any energy <laughs> saying anything. <laughs> well, and that doesn't, that just happens in our teams as well. Those yeah. are the most powerful moments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so thank you, thank you for playing in. You know, um, I want to, I want to take us. So, there's, we'll have enough time for questions as well. So, I want to, I want to take us to what do we actually? You know, so, not knowing now that actually what we see and what we make up in our heads is a lot of hogwash anyway, most of the time. You know, what do we look at and how can we use our observation? So, um, you know. When we look at our teams talking, we can look at the styles of talking. You know, are they making a lot of I statements? Are they making we statements? Are they, um, you know, are they making, excuse me, it statements? Are they asking questions? Are they, you know, what is the style of talking that they're adopting a lot of the time? And we don't have to make anything of it. I mean, we can make a lot of it. We can, you know, if there's a lot of I statements, we can maybe make up that there's a lot of big egos in the, you know, in the room. If we make we, that people making we statements, we can make up that they're quite close as a team. We don't have to make anything. We just have to say that. So I'm noticing that in this conversation, there's a lot of I statements. And you leave it right there. You can just make that statement. Or you can say, what's up with that? Or what do you make of that? You know, so simply, this is the style that you are currently in. There's more. We can observe how people are responding to one another. You know, so 
Do topics change without warning? Do they respond? You know, or is everybody having a little soliloquy of his own? You know, do they answer one another's questions? Um, they treat people differently. Some people get treated if this person speaks, they respond, but if that person speaks, they don't respond. You know, or if this person speaks, this one responds, and if that person speaks, that one responds. And once again, we don't have to we don't have to make anything of it. We simply have to say it. I'm observing that there's a lot of silences. And then we move to another topic. So especially in conversations, there's, if you're familiar with the work of Cantor, um, William Cantor, he wrote a book called Reading the Room. He looks at the conversational styles, um, you know, the just full conversational moves that we do in every single conversation. It's a, it's a, it's a, he calls it speech acts. We make moves, and a move is a direction forward. Then we make follows. So if somebody is making a direction forward, we can follow them you know, by, um, by, by staying, saying something that supports their move. We can oppose them. So if they want to go this way, we come up with a statement that says, no, we're going to go that way. And opposers can be followed as well. And then we can do what is the coaches and the facilitators um, you know, go to place, go to speech act. And that's a bystand. And a bystand is a morally neutral way of saying what's going on in the room. But in, you know, in conversations, as a coach, we can give tremendous um, clarity to what's going on in the group simply doing bystands. I'm noticing that there's a lot of silence. I'm noticing that it's, this is the third time that we're discussing the same topic. I'm noticing that we keep on making moves, but nobody follows. Okay? So that's all you need to do. Right. Then there's the roles that people are taking on. You know, um, so there's, you know, are there people who constantly are the ones that keep things moving, you know? Um, if there's somebody that constantly steps in when things are not going so well, is the whole group, um, you know, is, is, do we have a whole group of pathologically polite people, you know, who there's just never any opposition to anything? You know? um, who is, you know, I mean, and you can call them in your head what you want. I would suggest that you don't call them, you know, you want to call, you know, the the, the the dominator or the opposer or the whatever, you know, keep those names to yourself, but start looking at what the dynamics are in the group and what roles do people step in. And do they always step in those roles or do they step into a role depending on who's in the room, you know? So, so start looking at those things as well. Okay. Um, and then you can also look at, you know, physically, this is physical observation just in terms of, of what it looks like, you know, so, so um, if you look at the, how people are sitting, you know, there's some good science about um, we form community when people are sitting in circles with their knees not more than nine inches apart. So are people sitting in a way naturally that um, indicates that they will want to form community? Um, are people sitting apart, you know, um, people sit on opposite side of the table. Um, 
all of those things, you know, really become, um, become, a, become acutely aware of how people also physically move. Um, in nonverbal inf information, where do they look, you know, when they talk? So I noticed, Elena, both you and Sean, um, you looked, when, you know, when you were thinking, you looked in a particular place. When you were speaking, you looked in a particular place. When you were thinking, you looked in a, diff in a, in a different place. So, um, so most of us, apparently, we look up when we think, you know, if we're reflecting about something. And there's actually, there's a, a, the way our brains work, we'll either, either look to the left or to the right, you know. So you don't have to make or know any of that. But, you know, start becoming aware of what people look like when they think as well. Um, what do they do with their hands? Do. Sorry, sorry, Antoinette, um, yeah. before, yeah, as, as you mentioned it, it must be a little different to observe that those facial expressions being on camera versus in person, because sometimes the camera could be misleading where you're looking, or if you have two monitors and you're looking at different monitors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that brings another challenge to observing teams through Absolutely. remote learning. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't make it easier. I wish it was, a, well, it makes it easier to observe teams well. Doesn't. Correct. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the one thing as well. So, I'm from South Africa. We have 11 uh, official languages, you know, and there's a lot more unofficial languages as well. So, in South Africa, there are a lot, uh, there are a lot of cultural differences. You know, so, I think a lot of people are familiar with, um, you know, that Indian people culturally say no and say yes a different way than most other other cultures say it. You know? So there, there are a lot of things that we need to be acutely aware of when we work with different cultures as well, not to attach any meaning to what people do with their bodies or with their hands. And by the way, we tend to, um, we tend to uh, look at the body more so than the, than the head, you know. Um, in you know, some research as well, they've faced it, people with expressions of anger um, and, you know, doing something that, for instance, is, uh, is, would be seen as disgusting rather than, than you know, like changing a baby's nappy rather than something that would give you anger. And, if, and in studies, if they ask people then to interpret what is that person feeling, they tend to go with what's happening in the body rather than what's happening on the face. You know, so once again, it's, it's we've hamstrung um, and we need to develop, we need to just be more, a lot more explicit in our communication when we are, when we are um, virtual than when we are with one another in the room. I mean, we don't have the energy that comes off the person because none of that um, when we are in a room. Okay. So, no, so, so I've specifically not told you what to observe in terms of observe what's going on with the board or observe what's going on in their retrospective or observe what's going on. You know, so I've specifically chosen not to focus on look at these things as an agile coach. You know, um, because to me, I wanted, you know, that's easier stuff, first of all, you know, and it's much more known. And because this is a coach's um, I really wanted to focus more on the more subtle stuff. So um, you know there, there are lots of there are lots of coaching that um, that actually focus on what's happening with people in their bodies, um, which helps us uh, with observation as well. 
um, and also these specific things, you know, there's, a, there's something called signals, which we do in ores, which literally when we watch very, um, we watch very uh, keenly what somebody's, for instance, doing with their hands or with their heads, uh, we call it a signal. So if I'm, you know, if I'm explaining this to you, we ask somebody, so what is that? And if you keep on doing that, and you know, does it have a sound? And um, you make it bigger, you make it smaller. Uh, and it's, there's, there's so much that we don't know about the body um, and about the, the neuroscience and the connection in the body. But very often when we do that, it's a profound tool when we do that with people, um, for them to realize something that's sitting in the subconscious. And you can't start to work with that unless you are really keenly observing what exactly it is that they are doing with their hands, with their body, with their head, you know, with their eyes, their nose, whatever. So it, it really is a, is a very potent tool um, to have a look at. I mean, the, the big thing that we need to realize is that um, when, we are, when we come in as agile coaches, we um, we're generally work with people who are used to working in a different way than what we ultimately would have them work at. Okay, so they tend to be a lot more reliant on um, the instructions that come from, a, from above, and they tend to be much more um, sensitive to power. And as a coach, you need to you need to make sure that um, you need to make sure that you are um, aware of that power that you yield as well. And the minute you're going to ascribe what's going on for the group or make up stuff, so is it my sound people that you're struggling with? I'm so, sorry, I'm just noticing the chat. Is it my sound that's tuning in and out? To get closer to the mic. Good. Hang on one sec. I'm going to switch. Let me just let it. Okay, that's my speaker that's changed, and that's my microphone that's changed. How's this? Can you hear me better now? Much better. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, um, right. So, um, yeah, so we need to be really careful, um, and thank you for asking, thank you for pointing it out, okay? So we need to be really careful um, when we are stepping in, in, in a, coaching, um, a coaching role with people. If we continue to ascribe what's going on for them, and if we continue to actually come up with actions, we create the same dependency that they've had on their leaders before.
So it's an additional, you know, it's an additional reason why we want to make sure that when we are working with teams, we offer them the cleanest, purest observation, untainted observations that we can. And what we need to do is to make sure that we are present enough in whichever way, um, you know, that happens for you, that we are present enough to, um, to pick up what's going on and also that we continue to express it without tainting it with any desire about what it should be, that it's wrong, that it's right, okay? Um, simply offering it in a morally neutral um, and completely um, unattached way. And we should also be ready to simply let go of it if it does not land with a team, you know, or if it's just nothing. You know, sometimes, sometimes when somebody's scratching their nose, they're lying and sometimes their nose itches. So, you know, we should just also be just willing to let go of it if it's, if it's not really significant. Okay, so, um, so that's really all I've got in terms of, um, in terms of what I wanted to share. So I'm happy to now um, hear from you what questions have you got, what's your experience been with observation, um, you know, it's entirely up to you what we talk about next. Antoinette, Sean again here. Um, thank, thanks for that, by the way. Um, My pleasure. Picking up, picking up on what Alina said earlier on, and I think it was maybe your second or third slide, I can't yeah. remember now. Yeah. But it was the, the sensing slide and, and how you respond to that. When you're working with distributed teams and you're working online, yep. how, how does that work? How do you optimize that sensing kind of um, interaction, I suppose? Like, you know, how, how do you get that working um, well when you're you know, looking at a, a video screen, basically, of a two-dimensional thing yeah, or a yeah. person? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for me, there's a couple of things. Um, so I work, I've actually been working virtual for a long time. You know, I've got uh, quite a few colleagues, um, excuse me, quite a few colleagues in the, US, in the US and, you know, and some in the UK as well. And the whole of last year, I was coaching a team in Switzerland, you know, uh, it was a distributed team, Switzerland, the UK and um, in the US. And uh, what I found, I mean, so first of all, you work very hard as a, as a virtual coach. Um, I mean, not, I don't mean that so much if you're doing indi individual coaching. I've been doing individual coaching for quite a long time um, virtually, you know, and, and um, the medium is just much easier to navigate when it's one-on-one, -on -one, okay? But um, if you're working with a team, you do a hell of a lot of work. I mean, not twice, not three times, probably five times as much work in terms of building up trust, you know, so really getting to know one another, um, you know, really creating psychological safety that people are, um, you know, are able to speak up and not scared to speak up. I mean, I tend to make it a requirement that we all have our videos on and our mics on, except if you've got um, background noise, because I want to hear if somebody's sighing, you know, or if somebody's laughing or uh, if somebody's going, 
I want to hear that, um, you know, because it, it mimics the, you know, it mimics the, um, the in-person environment the most. Um, then generally, then it becomes easier to say, okay, we need to have an agreement that we're going to do much more thinking out loud when we do this. Okay. Um, you know, so, so in general, I find that uh, in virtual, in virtual spaces, it really helps to keep a narrative going, you know, even, I mean, you guys heard me when I switch my screen, I tell you exactly what I'm busy doing at that point. So it helps, it helps if people say, I'm thinking when you're virtual, you know, um, and still what you need to do as a, as a virtual coach, you need to keep an eye on everybody. And if you're working with a big group, then um, we work with two coaches, you know, these two of us. So one of us is carrying on the conversation at the moment. And the other one is watching what goes on for other people, for the people on the, um, on the, on the screen. So, so um, there's also, there's also, I switch between speaker view and, and gallery view quite often. You know, so for instance, when people do a check-in, I'm, I'm religious about doing check-ins, even if it's like a three minute check-in, I'm religious to do a check-in um, at the beginning of a session. And when that happens, I look at every person, you know, and as I get to know them better, I, you know, I form an idea of what's going on for them. And I'll remark on something, you know, and just find out I'm noticing that, um, you know, I'm noticing this, you know, what's going on for you. Um, so it is, it is certainly harder. It's not impossible, um, but it is certainly harder. And um, it really, I mean, the, the groundwork is build the trust, you know, build that there's enough psychological safety, um, you know, do even more work in terms of, of forming personal relationships between people. So uh, uh, is that helpful? That, it, it, it really is, to be honest with you, and a lot of the um, things that you mentioned there, I've, I've been putting into practice um, quite a lot over the, well, since March anyway, since the, uh, yeah. since the lockdown. Yeah. Um, but, but more so because, um, like you, have been working with distributed teams on and off yeah. for many years, yeah. Yeah. but this has really amplified all that. Yeah. One, of the, yeah. one of the things that you mentioned there, um, and this is something I, I just read up on um, only about a month or so back, was having that second person there as the as the observational type person, especially in larger groups, yeah. Um, yeah. and I think that's really important because I was missing so much yeah. um, trying to facilitate a session, but at yeah. the same time trying to observe yeah. things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I read it online somewhere that they call it like a have a Yoda um, <laughs> type person there, like you know, yeah. who, who just does nothing but observe. And then yeah, you play yeah, that yeah. back um, to each yeah. other afterwards. So, um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's, yeah. it's really kind of you. Yeah. Yeah. You cannot do it alone. You, you absolutely cannot do it alone. It's just, it leaves you exhausted. And I just think that, um, you know, as coaches, we really have to be present with what's going on in, you know, in the room, be it a virtual room or a, and you cannot be present if you have to worry about technology and, mm. 
you know, this thing about, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to the technology that they're going to bring that will make it possible for us to have the same kind of connection online than, than we have. You know, look, right now I'm looking at the camera because then it means I have eye contact with you. I, have, I only see you in my peripheral vision. So I'm looking forward to, for instance, having a camera in the middle of my screen so that I can look at all of you and look in, in your eyes at the same time, you know, and I'm sure it will come. Um, but right now, that's the best we can do, you know. I mean, something interesting as well is that um, before having video calls, if you refined your awareness enough, working on a phone actually, um, in, to some extent, provided you with more of a feel of what's going on in a space than virtually you know i think our eyes get distracted so i was in a coaching circle quite a long time ago where before you know it was the days of maestro so before the the days of zoom and we would get together and you would know by the way somebody checks in you would know what's going on for them and you could feel how the space changes as people say stuff or ask questions or contribute things so um yeah it is a the art of presence is a you know is a is a real art and I think a lifelong pursuit for all of us as coaches. So thank you for that question, by the way. So. Thank you. Okay, who else? I wasn't watching the chat. There were no questions in the chat. Yeah, no questions in the chat. All right. If there are no any further questions, I would like to thank you, Antoinette, for a great presentation. Uh, it resonated really well with all the professional coaching experiences and um, how we think about working and all those kind of um, alarms that are going off in the head. Oh, I hear this. What might have been <laughs> happening for the for the others? Uh, it was really great. Uh, thank you so much. Resonated really well with uh, how I think about that. So I hope everybody liked the presentation uh, the way I did. Uh, so a couple more things. Uh, this presentation was recorded and will be posted on Tandem Coaching Academy website probably within a week. And uh, our next uh, meeting with, uh, in a week, uh, I think it's William Stridham. And I actually don't remember what he's talking about. Um, You've got two South Africans in a row. Oh, uh, William is South African as well? He's South African as well. He's been oh. living in the States for a long, long time, but yeah, he's South African as well. So he, he's, he's talking about team dialogue, decipher it, use it effectively. Okay, well, you're going to hear some, some more observing happening. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you so much. Thank you for taking your time on this Saturday day night or whatever time. Uh, and I hope you all have a great rest of your weekend. And see you next time. Alex, yeah, there is a question that just popped into the chat, which is a very intriguing question. Okay, so Catherine, Catherine's asking, 
How can a coach slow down a heated discussion that happens virtually? That happens virtually. So, so, um, You know, generally when we get into these situations, by the time we get into the situation, we realize, whoops, there's something I should have done at the start that I didn't do. You know, so, so, um, so what I often do with people, well, not what I often do, what I always do with people actually, is have a conversation. If I know that the chance, the chances are there, you know, if it's a team that works together a lot and it gets into a heated discussion, I get very excited because um, it means that we're not in group think. So give me a heated discussions any day over yes, 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 okay? And with uh, with a team generally, uh, what I do when when we work on, you know, when we start out as a team, I draw something up with them that's called a team alliance, you know, and it comes straight out of the world of awesome and there's an equivalent in every coaching school that I know of. Um, one of the questions that I particularly like in the way that we do ORSC alliances is we ask, you know, how do we want to be with one another when things don't go well? Or how do we want to be with one, one another in difficult times? Okay? In difficult moments. And um, when you get into a heated discussion virtually, you then have um, something that you can, you know, you have a you have a hand to stick up to say, uh, guys, um, remember what we said in our alliance about how we are with one another when things don't go well. So you can, st and if it starts escalating, you can buy stand. You can you can use your powers of observation. I'm noting that you that everybody's raising their voices. Or I'm, not, I'm noticing that, you know, John and Jill, that you are not giving one another chance to finish your sentence. Okay, so if it starts escalating, you can then already come in from the side and just give a, an observation about what's going on. If it continues, you know, I would, you might have to say, okay, so, um, you know, it, I, you know, can I just say something, you know, I, re I seem to remember that on our alliance, we said we want to be courteous with one another, even when things don't go right. You know, I'm wondering how are we doing with that statement on our alliance at the moment. So it's again offering it in a, you know, in a, in a neutral way um, and, and then asking everybody in the room how they would be, you know, how they would be, um, what they're thinking about, how they, how they think they're doing against that team alliance at that point in time. So really you continuously just want to give them the information, you know, just reveal, 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 reveal. And what do they want to do with it? If they don't think there's a problem, you know, having a heated discussion, well, then maybe you shouldn't either, but you've done your, you've done your duty as, um, you know, as, as as keeper of the you know as as um steward of the team alliance as well you know you the you the kind of voice of the team alliance when things go um when things go rough so can i add something yeah. there absolutely so um I, I i agree with catherine it's great um great reference to team alliance thank you for that um 
And as you mentioned from the beginning, I was starting thinking about this question from a little bit different perspective. Uh, and I heard the question, if there is a heated discussion virtually and two people go at one another yeah. and you yeah. don't have you don't have a chance to insert yourself into that, what you do. Um, so there's absolutely fantastic book, uh, The Heart of Laser Focus Coaching by Marion Franklin. She's an MCC. And we were lucky enough yesterday on BetterUp to host her presentation. And um, absolutely fantastic lady, been coaching, not agile coaching, professional coaching for 30 years. Uh, and she actually did a demo. The question was a little bit different. If the client goes on and on and on and on, <laughs> and you don't have a chance to ask a question, what do you do? And she actually demoed. She actually, so, and I, I'm not going to demo. It's interesting. But basically, you call person's name. So if Antoinette and Sean are going at one another, I might be like, Sean. Sean, Sean, until that stops. Yeah. Second step is to reflect what you see, to recognize what's going on. I see a heated discussion. I see your point. Here's what's going on. And then what Antoinette said, maybe bring it back to the coaching alliance. Mm. Uh, the key point there is to go after a name because people, that's what mm -hmm. make people mm -hmm. hear is the name. Mm -hmm. And then you Which really, name? really want to reflect what you are hearing so that it's not like you completely ignored it and you completely yeah. ignored the content and the, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. emotions. Recognize that, reflect that back and go uh, with uh, team alliance or what's not. Alex, do you, which name are you choosing, though, if it's two people? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't okay. matter. As, as long as you don't bring judgment yeah. into your observation, yeah, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. As long as it's not perceived that the person... Right. As, as long as you're not going like, Sean, Sean, just shut up already. You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Alex! 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 Yeah. <laughs> so... so just so so and she, and she was showing that in kind of in individual co uh, coaching context mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. as i coach individuals sometimes like the story keeps going on right mm -hmm. so how how do you interrupt this story and remember in professional coaching there's a weight or there's a reason to interrupt that mm -hmm. if there's coaching reason for that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so for icf for example doesn't want you to interrupt unless there's a coaching reason. I actually contract about that with my clients as well. You know, so I contract with them that, um, mm -hmm. you know, I explain uh, that if I, sometimes we don't need the story. They might think we need the whole story, but sometimes we don't need the story. You know, is it okay if I interrupt you? So I, to me, my life is made up of, Oh shit moments that I've come to build into <laughs> into my upfront contracting, you know, into the alliances. Because when you when you get there and you realize, whoa, I should have contracted them about this. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a very good thank you for that. What who did you say it was again, Alex? It's Marilyn Franklin, the Marilyn heart Franklin. of laser focused coaching. 
I've never heard of of that book. So uh, it's 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 just came out less than a year ago, and absolutely fantastic book. So if you are interested in professional coaching, yeah. uh, she explains basics, and she actually admitted that that I'm not saying anything that like PCC would not yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she explains that it's such a such a plain. Yeah. very clear language that it's very fascinating yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. which reminds me i must renew my icf <laughs> <laughs> just got till the end of august when's it 22nd okay. all right so, all right yeah. any other questions before we close going once going twice all right, uh, so Antoinette, thank you so much. Uh, hope to My see pleasure. you in our meetup and yeah. anywhere else again. Yes. And thank, thank you everybody for joining. Uh, we'll see you next time on our meetups. Thank you, Alec and Antoinette. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, have a great weekend. Okay, okay. same to you. Bye-bye. Bye everyone.